Buckle up, people. It's federal election time. You've got one vote. How are you going to decide who to vote for? From Hope Media, How in God's Name Should I Vote? is a podcast looking at how and why Christians interact with the political process. But don't worry, this is a campaign-free zone. We're not going to tell you who to vote for, but we are going to dig deep into how following Jesus might impact your vote. We will create another one and a quarter million jobs. We will maintain those budget surpluses. We will deliver tax relief. We will keep Australians safe. We will deliver more jobs, better health and education. Take real action on climate change and renewable energy and help push energy prices down. We'll get on top of cost of living burdens and we'll get wages moving again in this country. The Labor Party's dragging their heels when it comes to climate change. The Liberal Party are dragging their knuckles and neither party is prepared to do what we need to do to make the transition. We're about to lose the Great Barrier Reef. Did you know that less than half of all Australians are happy with how the democratic process is working? The levels of trust we place in our political leaders is at an all-time low, and with fair reason. Regular changes of leadership, angry and aggressive rhetoric, a constant stream of lies and twisted truths from all sides. So here's a question. With such little faith in our political system, is there even any point being involved in the political process? I mean, should we even bother? What does our faith say about that? The gospel of Jesus Christ and the message of Jesus Christ is not about infiltration of legislation. It's about the invasion and transformation of human hearts and human minds. And that that is the most important thing. We have this dilemma at the moment where the wider Australian community is pushing back on a range of things. Okay, you've got a great history, you've you've led the way in providing education to our society, but now we want you to back off. I think the heart of that question is were there times when I felt a conflict with where the government was going or my team was going? It didn't happen terribly often. In fact, I would have thought that we would be instinctively progressive, that we would think that the Kingdom of God is unfurling. I'm Andrew Palmer and I'll help us navigate this political maze. I'm a married guy with three young adult kids finding their way in the world. I work for the Baptist churches and I've also been heavily involved in the Black Stump Festival, now Beyond Festival, which celebrates justice and compassion. Welcome to episode one of How in God's Name Should I Vote? In this episode, we'll be considering our political involvement. Should we as Christians take any interest in politics? Should we be making an effort? To be informed? Should Christians be involved in politics or is it all just a waste of time? Let's begin by posing that question to Max Jagannathan, former Labor staffer and now Asia director of Ravi Zacharias Ministries. Yeah, well, I was, I was really blessed with my time in politics. I worked for a, a Labor minister when we were in government. And then after the 2013 election, uh, when we went into opposition, I worked for Bill for a couple of years before heading off to Oxford. Uh, And in that time, I saw people of faith from both sides of politics making a huge difference. It's easy for the disillusionment with the political system to lead to what I believe to be kind of unjustified conclusions that politics is a waste of time, that you can't change anything, that we shouldn't bother. But I certainly, in my experience of you know almost seven or eight years working up at Parliament in Australia, 
I saw so many examples to the contrary. I saw good people of all kinds of different worldviews and political views um, working very, very hard to help to improve the quality of life of the Australian people collectively. And many of them are doing a fantastic job in achieving significant reforms and significant changes. So maybe it's not all gloom and doom because Max's thoughts are echoed by Carolyn Kitto, a social activist and campaigner and leader of Stop the Traffic. I asked her if we can trust politicians to care about anyone other than themselves. We see what they do in Canberra, and it may not necessarily be very pretty um, or even adult, but in fact a lot of a politician's time is spent in their electorate sitting down, talking to people, helping them to solve their problems, helping them with issues with their neighbours, with their school, with their community, etc. And I would have to say probably 99 times out of 100, I would say to the politician at the end, well, you know, it's your position description to talk to me and it's I'm a minister, so it's my position description to pray for you. Would you like me to pray? And uh, just about all of them would. You know, what I found was some exemplary human beings and some very human human beings. You know, they cut and bleed and cry just like the rest of us. It might be hard to admit it because it changes our internal narrative, but the reality is politicians are human, just like the rest of us. Capable of greed, anger, selfishness, but also capable of love and kindness and a desire to do good. In fact, I'm not sure I've ever met a politician, and I've met plenty of them, who wasn't motivated by the deep desire to enhance the good. I just haven't always agreed on the means to that end. So there's good reason not to just ditch the whole thing, and we should work hard to maintain some level of trust in our political system. Next step, maybe it's time for you and for me to turn off the electoral autopilot. John Dixon is the founding director of the Centre for Public Christianity and has some thoughts about how faith should affect ballot papers. He spoke with our producer Liam Denny, suggesting Christians should be swingers, at least in the voting sense. Oh, it's someone who uh, is willing to vote one way or the other, depending on what the policies are. So a swinging voter is generally someone who just hasn't, you know, hasn't necessarily made up their mind in advance. I'm concerned that a lot of people just vote according to their tribe or, or the way they've always voted or the way their family votes or the way their suburb votes. You know, so it's a team-based approach. I vote for my team. And yet it seems to me that a Christian needs to be more thoughtful than that. And that it may be that a political party's policies begin not to align with you know, the, the aspirations of a Christian, with the good of the nation. And I would like to think a liberal voting Christian listening to this would be really open to voting Labor if the policies demanded it. And of course, likewise, a consistent Labor voter should be willing to vote liberal coalition if an analysis of the policies meant that the best I can do for this nation with my vote is to vote coalition. Uh, So that's what I mean by a swinging voter. I don't mean to criticise any Christians who are uh, members of parties, because there are Christians who are 
Greens members, Labour members, coalition members, and there are politicians, of course, <laughs> who are who are uh, who are Christians, and they, they they have tied themselves to a party. But even in their situation, I like to think that if it came to a point where the policies of that political party started to really move away from what you think is the good, you know, uh, that you'd be willing to um, vote another way. So do you think there's no place for Christians then just voting for the Christian party or the Christian candidate or seeing that word Christian on their ballot paper and just ticking that box? That shouldn't be what we think? I love the idea of Christians going into politics and I'm totally cool with there being Christian parties. I don't think Christians should vote for their religious team. Not only should they not vote for a political team that they just think is, is their tribe, they shouldn't They shouldn't vote religiously like that. I mean, the New Testament was perfectly comfortable with a pagan emperor and called on us to honor the emperor. That's a Roman emperor who didn't believe in God, who wasn't, who wasn't a Christian. So God can govern the nations without Christians in leadership because in the end, the gospel of Christ and the power of the Spirit in the church are the most important things to change a nation toward the good. Political power is secondary. And so I don't think we should be voting necessarily for Christian politicians just because they're Christians. If they happen to have policies that you think are really for the good of the other, then knock yourself out, vote for them. But don't vote simply because of the buzzword Christian. That was John Dixon. He's convinced Christians should be involved in politics, but has concerns when politicians use their faith as a tagline and encourages us to look deeper at their vision for community. Seems fair? Max Jagannathan shares the caution and goes a bit further. He's got an issue with political parties that market themselves as explicitly Christian. My personal view is that that is problematic. That it is problematic to have a party that identifies itself as a Christian party as such, because that almost explicitly politicizes the gospel. What it says is that if you are a Christian, you should be voting for this party rather than other parties. Uh, when in my experience, when you look not just in Australia, but globally, parties that call themselves Christian parties run the risk of misleading people into thinking that they are the Christian political representatives available to be voted for at a given election, which is deeply problematic and deeply unbiblical because all Christian parties have got many aspects of their platforms that are deeply unchristian or even aspects of Christ the Christian moral framework that they completely ignore. So here's how the story is unfolding so far. There's good reasons for Christians to care about politics and we should hold our allegiances lightly and swing vote where necessary. So far, so good. But then I get left with this. Why are Christians so often associated with the conservative side of politics? I asked Mike Frost, author, agitator and head of the missiology department at Morling Theological College and he has a pretty interesting take. Depending on what people mean by the term, I mean, if we take the term conservative, you know, literally, it, it's a it's a movement to conserve uh, old or traditional or even in some cases ancient uh, values and beliefs and structures and behaviours. 
And as Christians holding to the ancient teaching of Jesus and the values of the kingdom of God, which no doubt have impacted European society, which was then transported to this island, we would say, yeah, we are conservative in the sense that we're committed to conserving, uh, maintaining an allegiance to those ancient and beautiful truths and values. But if the opposite of conservatism is progressivism, and if progressivism is about seeing uh, the future getting better and better, more and more opportunities for more people, that there's a, there's a progress into a, uh, a more equitable, more just, more fair society. Well, how could a Christian not be committed to that? How could we say, well, we think that the values of the kingdom of God are something that once formed us, but are no longer shaping us into the future? In fact, I would have thought that we would be instinctively progressive, that we would think that the kingdom of God is unfurling, and so the values of the kingdom of God should be taking deeper and deeper, wider and wider root. And so things like justice, reconciliation, peacemaking, wholeness, healing, these things ought to be increasing inexorably, slowly, two steps forward, one step back, all that kind of stuff. But we should be progressive people. So I guess I'm inclined to say we should be freed from either conservative or progressive agendas as they are as agendas. And so that as Christian people, we are committed to conserving the ancient and working toward a better future. It's a good line, this idea of being both conservative and progressive, and likely tricky for Christian politicians who have spent their entire careers on one side of the political divide. Politicians like, say, former Deputy Prime Minister and Nationals leader John Anderson. The fact is that in the West now, we loathe our cultural underpinnings and we've mocked the idea of a Christian God out of the public square. John Anderson was the member for Guida from 1989 until his resignation in 2005. Besides leading the National Party, he also served as a senior minister in the Howard government. He's known as a man of deep Christian conviction and integrity. It would be hard to find a recent Christian politician who had a longer or more influential term in public life. I asked John how he reconciled his faith with the bear pit of political reality. I think the heart of that question is were there times when I felt a conflict with where the government was going or my team was going. It didn't happen terribly often. Hmm. And particularly at a senior level, of course, I found myself on most issues either fully supportive of or pretty comfortable with, but certainly able to live with, if I can put it in that brackets, the sorts of things that John Howard and Peter Costello and other senior members of the government wanted to pursue. So it was probably a little easier for me. I would struggle enormously with some of the issues that are thrown up today. Uh, I have to say that. I have the utmost respect for some of the people uh, who are grappling in good faith with the direction of politics today because they are in it, trying to make a difference, and the tide is running very strongly against the things that I think really matter. But the reality is that every Western nation now has divided. We've lost sight of the things that bound us together. We've lost connection with an understanding of our shared humanity whereby we accord dignity and respect uh, to people even when we disagree with them. And we now adopt a view far too readily that me and the people around me who are like me are right and the rest of you are wrong, wrong, wrong. And then the language that follows is all too often the language of division and even hate. You're implying there that we've moved away from 
values, and that's uh, that's a very strong thing to say. What do you think has caused that? I think the ridiculing of the beliefs that shape the values. The fact is that in the West now, we loathe our cultural underpinnings, and we've mocked the idea of the Christian God out of the public square, uh, and we like to attack those who still believe in that Christian God, and we also like to attack the institutions that Christianity gave rise to, particularly the commitment to marriage and family. So what then, given that shift, what then is the role of public Christianity and the public Christian? Well, that's an incredibly important question. If we believe that Christianity is good news for human beings, we have to fight to try, and I don't mean fight violently, but I mean argue the case persistently and courageously to keep the public square open for free debate. But we have traditionally respected the rights of other people to speak, even if we didn't like what they said. And these days, it seems, though, that people in the post-modernist movement, I think, often, frankly, I don't think there's any other way to put it, they're motivated by a desire to silence Christians and ensure that people are not able to be exposed to what they say is a terrible story of Christianity. Uh, And they're finding very effective ways to do it. Now, the only answer, I think, is to, one by one, seek to be as noble as we can in the name of Christ. And and what does that mean? Well, remember the checklist in Galatians. How can there be any law against those things? Love, joy, peace, self-control, etc., etc., etc. How can there be any law against loving your neighbour even when they slap you in return? We have to live differently, and we have to live humbly, And we shouldn't expect others to respect us just because we're Christians. They're not going to. We have to expect them to be by nature like we were before we found faith. The great French philosopher, Blaise Pascal, said that men hate religion. And what he meant by religion was Christianity. He wasn't talking about other religions. Men hate religion because they fear it may be true. And it's a tough message. The message of Christianity is tough. If Pascal is right and religion is hated, it's a fair question as to why are we getting involved in politics at all? Could it even be counterproductive to the Christian cause? The Australian Christian lobby has certainly had its fair share of hate directed at it, especially during the marriage equality debate when its then-director Lyle Shelton became the go-to guy in the media for the anti-same-sex marriage voice. And to be fair, the ACL can at times have a pretty polarising voice. Some Christians adore them, some cannot abide them. But despite the media focus, they're more than a single-issue lobbying group. Katrina Rowe asked current Managing Director Martin Isles what the ACL is ultimately trying to achieve. Well, ultimately, I would like to see Christians fulfilling the mandate that Christ left us to be lights in the world. Uh, And I'd love to see a, a movement that is built around standing up for truth, standing up for what's right, doing so in a way that Christ would have us to do it and doing so in a way that actually shines light in dark places. I think politics is a dark place. I think cultures can be a dark place. And if we can shine the light in there and we can make a difference, that's what I'd like to see.
So can you tell us about a time when ACL has been able to make a difference to a policy outcome? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, this is, was a great thing for us to have been involved in. I remember uh, just a couple of years ago, uh, there was a special humanitarian intake for uh, refugees from the Middle East who were fleeing uh, genocide, essentially, by ISIS. And there was a great move on to try and get different parliaments around the world to declare that genocide was happening and there wasn't much progress on that. But we were able to work really constructively with the government at that time, um, and it was the Abbott government, to put together an extremely generous uh, special intake of thousands of individuals mm-hmm. from Syria and Iran uh, in order to get them uh, to get a large number of those guys who had fled persecution, who were Christians, therefore the most vulnerable people in the region, uh, to come out here. And many of them currently live in Western Sydney. In fact, the Australian government sent their own people to the Middle East to find them because they were having trouble with the UN channels because some Christians weren't presenting there because they feared persecution and discrimination. It was a great policy suite and it worked so well and the government put so much energy into it and I'm pleased to say it was actually my predecessor who uh, was a major catalyst for the thinking behind that. Given that there are Christians in major parties, do you think that those Christians are able to have influence on policy? Are there voices heard within their parties and do you think they can make a difference there? Yeah, I do think they can. They can because uh, all these parties, they, they decide on most of their policy issues by way of party room meetings. So they all get together in a room and they, you know a number of them will have a say. Definitely the Christians do have a say. Now, the Christians uh, have broad agreement with people in the party who are not Christians uh, as well. But, you know, it sometimes just takes a leader to stand up on an issue. And I've, I've known of many situations where a person of faith has stood up in the party room and said, guys, guys, this is what the right thing to do is. And they've actually led and given a compelling argument and had others start to gravitate around them. It's really nice to have those guys in the parliament. And they actually do make a difference. They make a difference often. I would say this, though. It's harder for them to make a difference than ever without grassroots support. So politicians really these days, they need a constituency to back them. They, they need to be able to say, look, this, there's people in the community who, who will vote on this. Uh, and that's why Christians need to find their voice politically a little bit, because these guys can get our backing to do good in the party. Do you think that Christians should always vote for a Christian candidate? Not always, no. I think that they should vote for candidates on a, on a case-by-case basis, which puts the obligation on us to examine our candidates and examine our politicians. I think sometimes there are people who will go and say that they're Christians, but if you actually look at their policy framework, you'll sit there and think, well, hang on a second, that doesn't look that Christian to me. Like, their faith hasn't run all the way through to their practice in politics. There are some Christians who are really strong on that and you'll align with them more. I do think it requires not just the say-so of the candidate on their faith, but it requires you to look at their policy positions and how they speak and how they've voted in the past even is important, particularly how they've voted on those issues that we see as Christians of moral gravity. And I say that deliberately because, uh, you know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about what is that sort of organizing principle behind the Christian vote? Like, what should we take into account? What's the fundamental thing that we as Christians are worried about? It's got to be those moral issues. It's got to be a moral compass question. And that's different to our neighbors who might vote for the, you know, the most lanes on their local motorway or the deepest tax cut or, uh, you know, the politician with the best looking glasses or something. That's not what we should vote for. We should be different. We should actually say, hang on, let's think about those issues that really concern God. 
that ministry that concerns God for governments, as it's described in the Bible, it's a ministry for righteousness, for what's right and wrong. So that's why we need to carefully contemplate rights and wrongs in our voting process and even examine the record of our particular candidate and see how they stand on those issues of right and wrong. What about trust, though? Because Christians, I think, are more likely to trust a Christian candidate, regardless of what their policies are. Is it right that we should trust Christians more? Or is that just a form of tribalism? When I think of a person who is in parliament who's a strong Christian, so I'll just think of a couple of people in my head now, and I, I picture them in my mind, a couple of strong Christians out of the parliament. The reason I trust them is because they really do believe, they really do believe that they're answerable to God for what they say and do. And so there's like a moral standard outside of themselves that keeps them in check. And, and because they're people with a deep sense of that, I do trust them more than I would trust some. Is that always going to be the case, though? No, uh, that's the problem. This is why it's we've got to use discernment and look at individuals because there's some individuals who walk around waving the Christian card, but really they're just political animals. That's Martin Isles from the Australian Christian Lobby suggesting we should closely examine the candidate, their faith, their voting record and where they stand on moral issues and also revealing that those very issues that we see as moral imperatives kind of depend on our reference point. So folks, where did we land? The political world can seem really abstract and irrelevant, but the truth is we have a stake in how our country is governed and the values that guide that process it's worth investing some time thinking about it, assessing policies and weighing the characters of those we vote into office. And as tricky as it is, maybe we need to walk a line that is both conservative and progressive and not allow ourselves to just get locked into one view or another. So how do we do that? We keep talking about it. On the next episode of How in God's Name Should I Vote? Our politics shouldn't define our faith. That's what often happens. I think our theology needs to define our politics. Our faith should be brought into our politics and not the other way around. That's Jim Wallace, former spiritual advisor to Barack Obama and founder of Sojourners magazine. He'll help us consider why just one hot-button issue often determines the Christian vote. In the US, the sanctity of life debate played a major role in bringing Donald Trump to power, but should one policy really trump, excuse the pun, every other issue for Christians? My hope and prayer is an Australia built on truth, justice, love and hope. I think we've got a long way to go in working towards each of those. Joining Jim will be Brooke Prentice, Indigenous advocate and Aboriginal Christian leader, and will also be joined by National Living Treasure and Micro Australia CEO, Tim Costello. If you've enjoyed this episode of How in God's Name Should I Vote, you might like to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks to our producers, Katrina Rowe and Liam Denny, and our online manager, Andrew Morris, production by Richard Hamwee.